0: I'd like to ask you to stand once again, and we're going to do our declaration before the word comes this morning. If you would, say this with me. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare our, your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Give the Lord praise. <laughs> Father, we come to you today in the precious name of Jesus Christ. We count it a privilege to be in your presence once again, Father. We we come today, Lord, anxious to hear your word to speak truth to our hearts, God. A word, God, Lord, that will make challenges, but also, God, a word that will encourage us and strengthen this body, God. That will bring us into a body of unity, God, Lord, that, Father, we we proclaim the goodness and the mercy of God to a lost and a dying generation, Father, Lord. We're praying and believing today, dear God, that your spirit will be poured out upon your people, dear God, Lord. I pray over our pastor, let the anointing of the Holy Spirit be upon him with the unction the power of the Holy Ghost to proclaim the glorious words
1: of Jesus Christ. In your name
0: we pray, amen.
1: You may be seated this morning. Before I get ready to preach, I want to apologize for my appearance. Uh, Three or four different people said, man, you look rough today. Another one said, man, you look beat up. I'm sitting there thinking. Another one said, looks like you got one foot in the grave this morning. What's going on with you? I looked at my wife this morning. said, you look so pretty. and She said, put a T-shirt on. It'll help you look better. So something's going on with me, and I don't know what it is. I even tried to get a little bit of uh, love from my grandson. He went. There's something going on here today, so I apologize for my appearance this morning. You know, they could have easily said, man, you're so handsome today. Oh, but no, they got to pull me down before I get up here to preach. Praise the Lord. It's so good to see every one of you here this morning. This morning, I'm going to be going into a very hard and difficult message. There are times in my life that the Lord gives me a message that I just can't wait to preach. Man, Lord, I can't wait to preach that message. And then there are times he gives me messages that I don't even like myself because they're even hard for me to swallow. They're even hard for me, not necessarily to, to believe, but to embrace. I'm being honest. There are some hard sayings in the Word of God. How many believe that? There's some hard pills to swallow sometimes, even from the mouth of Jesus. And uh, this morning I want to give you a little bit of an introduction or maybe information or instruction concerning where we're going to go into in the month of uh, September. Usually we, we get on a theme and, you know, I do a series of different things. But in the month of September, we're going to be focused upon evangelism. And we as a congregation is going to embrace a missional aspect to where we understand that we got a call and a mandate by Scripture to go out and evangelize the world. That the most important thing about the church is its existence to win souls. He that went of souls is wise. That is the heartbeat of God. God came to win souls. He came. He sent his son that you and I could be saved. That's the reason that he came. And that is the mission and the heartbeat of Jesus Christ. This morning as I get into the message, I in no way want to tear down or beat up the body of Christ. That is not my intent. I have wept over this message. I prayed earnestly. Me and my wife, just we just agonized before the Lord last night. I was telling her my heart, Uh, There's a lot going on. When I see the body of Christ, I'm not talking about necessarily the palace of praise. I'm talking about the church in, in general around the world. And I'm talking about especially the church in America because I've got a burden for America. And the message today is about the church in America, where it's going wrong. And even though there's a lot of things going right here, there's always room for improvement. But even though there's a lot of things going right, and in no way is some of this stuff that I'm preaching reflecting upon us at all, but it's forewarning us not to allow it to happen. Because I want to tell you, the pastor not only tries to correct, but he tries to instruct to where we protect the church, that we protect the body of Christ. And that is my intent here this morning throughout the message. The Bible tells us in the book of Galatians six fourteen. but God forbid that I should glory. Saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified unto me and I into the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, the Bible says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us that are saved, it is the power of God. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2 says, For I am determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 says. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Matthew chapter 10, verse 38 says, and whosoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And then in Luke chapter 14, verse 27, the Bible says, whosoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. John chapter 19, verse 17 says, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Gagatha. I'm gonna ask this morning if, uh, Brother Gary, Gary, would you please uh, stand and ask the Lord's blessing on the word of the Lord. Amen. You know, without going back and preaching all that's in the book of Acts, we see in Scripture that there are four streams of biblical church life recorded throughout the Scripture. One of them is Jewish. This stream is the oldest. It's made up of completed Jews who embrace Christ as the Messiah. They're known as the messianic Jews. And this is what made up the first early church in the book of Acts. It was messianic church. It was where Jesus Christ was Lord, Messiah, and God. And the church was also evangelical. It was missional from its very beginning, from its very origin, it was a missional church. It was centered on core theology, driven by task theology, and it forged, forged forward in evangelism and mission, sharing the elements of basic theology. And basic theology is simply the message of Jesus Christ because there's no greater message than that. That's the basic message, the core message of the Bible, Jesus Christ, him being Savior and Lord of all. How many understand that? Can you say amen to that? But the church understood that it had a kingdom mission. The church must be missional. That means its members must embrace four biblical things. First of all, we must embrace the great commitment. There is a great commitment that each and every one of us as believers must embrace and it's called the commitment of prayer. In Ephesians chapter 5, or First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 17, the Bible tells us that we are to pray without ceasing. James tells us that, that without prayer... We we don't receive. In other words, we have not because we ask not the way that he actually put it. Matter of fact, the scripture tells us that whatsoever we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever we loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There's power in prayer. How many believe that? There's the power of agreement. There's the power of supplication. There's the power of intercessory. There's the power of petitioning. So we understand that we must, as a church, commit to this great thing called the commitment of prayer. We also must commit to the great commandment, which is love, that we are to love one another and our neighbor as ourselves, that we are to love one another as Christ has so loved us. Matter of fact, Jesus even said, this is how I know that you are my disciples, that you have love one toward another, We are also to embrace the Great Commission, which is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was Jesus that said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. That we are to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The Bible tells that we're going to the highways and the byways, the hedges, compel them, in other words, convince them to come into the kingdom of God. If there's one thing this 21st century church needs to understand, and that is that we are to be persuasive and effective within soul winning. There's so much shifting in the church world to where churches are growing by the shifting of saints instead of by the winning of souls, by the saving of souls. The church has to learn how to get people saved. Can I have an amen? But we're also to embrace the great consummation, which is the glory of God. We are to express and manifest the glory of God. We to be the light of the world, a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. No man lights a candle and puts it under a bushel, but he puts it up on a candlestick where it gives light to all of them that are in the room. We as a church are to express and reflect the glory of God. These are the four main missional commandments uh, commands of the kingdom, uh, missional, com, missional commandments of the kingdom of God. They are again, the great commitment, prayer, the great commandment, love. The great commission, spreading the gospel. And the great consummation of the glory of God being upon the church. Now the church was not only messianic and missional, but it was also Pentecostal and charismatic. It embraced the supernatural. It depended upon the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not by power, nor by my, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. It did not repress or censor the gifts of the Spirit. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul even tells us to come and to earnest the greater gifts. but If you look that up, I wish I had time to preach right there. That is the only place where he tells you to covet. We're not to covet our neighbor's possessions. We're not to covet our neighbor's wives. We're not to covet according to the word of God. But here he tells you to covet after. Be jealous over the gifts of the spirit. That we The, the, it, the early church did not repress or censor the gifts of the spirit, but rather encourage you to go after them with all of your might. It put emphasis on the work of the Spirit and the necessity of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, Be not drunk with wine, where is it excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The first church was birthed by God through the breath of Jesus Christ as he breathed upon his disciples in John 20 22. And this is what the Bible says he breathed upon them and he said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Now, what I'm doing here right now, I'm building an introduction to the preaching. Hang on with me just a minute. But the church was not only Pentecostal and charismatic. Not only was it missional, not only was it messianic, but the church also adapted synagogue liturgy. What does that mean? It formed an organized public worship service and it added to that public worship service the communion, the Lord's table. It unified them in the focus of Jesus Christ and it developed deep-seated relationships by bringing them believers together. It formed continuity so that the church world would survive and remain unbroken, existing to operate in its uh, present form by being committed to one another, loving one another, and being united together in one purpose and one goal. Hebrews 10 and 25 tells us not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see that day approaching. So the church was messianic, it was evangelical, it was Pentecostal, and it was organized. It was not independent. So this tells me that the 21st century church will find its success only in the glory glorious pattern of the early church. Can I have an amen? We must be messianic where Jesus Christ is Lord. There is no name given under heaven whereby men must be saved than through that lovely name of Jesus Christ. I want you to know every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ at the palace of praise is Lord, Messiah, God, can I have an amen? Would you celebrate Jesus Christ right here? Celebrate him this morning. Stand to your feet and celebrate Jesus. Hallelujah. That's our strength. That's our living hope. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise him. He's worthy of it. The burden of the Lord is upon this message this morning. Not only it was the early church messianic, but it was evangelical. We must be missional here at the palace. We must be Pentecostal, spirit-led, spirit-empowered. We're not ashamed to be called Pentecostal. We're tongue-talkers, amen? We anoint with oil. As a matter of fact, we sling oil anywhere we can sling it, amen? We dance, we shout, we show emotion, we get aggressive. We at the palace of praise are not ashamed to flow in the gifts of the spirit. We are Pentecostal. Amen? But we also must be organized. We must be unified together. We cannot be independent of one another. My success is your success. Your success is my success. And we cannot be successful without each other. Because when the body's not committed together, the body cannot function. When the body cannot function, it cannot be fruitful and it cannot be successful. The success of the Palace of Praise is not upon Kit Miller. It's not upon the council. It's not upon uh, the elite group of leaders around here. It's upon every single one of us coming together with a common goal, understanding that we're a part of the body of Christ, that we have a role to play and that we're connected together as a family and that we're living stones built upon one another to bring about and reflect the Glory of Almighty God. That's who we are as a church. Amen. Give the Lord praise for that. However, even though we see the early church and its success and its power, something has happened in the 21st century. We in America have lived lived in a time when being an American made one feel like a Christian automatically, though that's not true. When you thought of America, you thought of Christianity. This is what she stood for. It was her roots is where she was built upon. It's what she came out of. We were one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all. We were Christians by national identity. Christianity here until recently was popular. It was the end style, so to speak. It was vogue. It was the end thing since the 1950s. And those who live now under the current social culture changes, they lament and they weep over the anti-Christian, anti-Christ shift that America has made. And even though we weep, it may be God giving us a gift. I want you to understand that. Because it may be only through the complete meltdown and the chaos of a nation that the church will return back to its dependence upon God. Research by Kirk Hideaway and Penny Longmarker revealed in 2014 that 17.7% of Americans were in church on any given Sunday. The American Church Research Project in 2005 that put millions of dollars into this in several years also placed regular church attendance at 17.5%. Those attend three out of the eight Sundays in a row, eight Sundays, are 23%. 23% of the church's population that do come only come three out of eight Sundays. And by the standards of this culture, they are considered and referred to as regular participants, yet they only come one-fourth of the time. Now, I'm not trying to be negative after such a wonderful move of the Holy Spirit, but God set that up on purpose. This data is not just for certain denominations or a certain religious background, but this data data is for all the churches in America, regardless of their denomination, regardless of their affiliation, or regardless of their organization. Further alarming is the fact that these numbers are trending downward. A matter of fact, among evangelical churches, which we are under, only 9.1 percent are in church in a typical Sunday. This means, by national statistics, that 77 percent of the United States population does not demonstrate a regular, weekly, and vital connection to the Christian church. A matter of fact, by definition and reality, they are functionally unchurched, and we don't want to hear or pay attention to it. But we want to classify church attendance by mere association and not by commitment. This. This means that by the statistics that we have given you, this means that we have a nation's whose profile is that the majority of them are non-Christian. And we want to crucify Obama. When he was president, he stated these words. He said that America is no longer a Christian nation. The church will just about come unglued even myself. I got mad. I I just got furious when he said that. But the truth of the matter is, by statistics at the time that he said it, the national statistics proved him to be right. I know that goes against the grain of most of us here this morning. You can't even believe I'm saying that as a pastor. But we as a church are guilty of burying our faces in the sand, and we really don't want to pay attention to the truth or the statistics of where the church is at. Come on, somebody help me preach. We don't want to face the facts that the church world is declining in America. Help us. Less than 37% of the United States population around one-third. Less than one-third is even, and this is even counting the semi-regular, the occasional attenders, those that go to church here and there sporadically. Only 25% of the Sunday morning crowd being polled and surveyed said that they meet the criteria of being a Christ-centered church. Less than 10% of the population that goes to church identified as Bible Christians in other words, they are Christians by name only because if they don't trust in the sincere Word of God as the as the as the Word of the Lord, they're in trouble. On any given Sunday in America, eighty-three percent of its population not in church. This means that only seventeen percent of Americans are committed to the church and their attendance, and on a, and on the they're committed to the attendance on a regular basis. Out of thirty-seven percent attenders, only seventeen percent are committed and only 9% are committed in the evangelical church. George Barner, the researcher declares that, more than, that, that in more than 100 measurements, there is no difference in the values and the behavior of so-called Christian than non-believers. The church is in apostasy and we don't even realize it. The line between the world and the Christian faith has almost completely deteriorated and been erased. Church, we need a national reformation. We need a national visitation. We need a national awakening from God. We need a revival. Would you stand to your feet and pray with me right now? God, give us a revival. God, awaken us from our sleep. God, somehow do it again in our midst. Would you just pray that with me right now? Father, right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I pray for revival, for an awakening. We're in trouble, and we don't even realize that we're not paying attention. Would you shake us and rattle us, and God, would you let these old dry bones come alive one more time, God? As Samson said, shake us just this. One more time. Give me one more chance, God. Would you give your body another chance? Would you breathe upon her? Would you come upon her? Would you resurrect her? Would you revive her? Would you renew her? Would you just come and bless? And one more time. Bring us up into the heavenly places where we're to belong in you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah earlier i said those live under the current culture changes in america lament and weep over the anti-christian shift that it, that it, america has made and then i said however it may be a gift of god to us because it may be only through complete meltdown and the chaos of a nation that the church would turn back to its dependence upon god let me explain that statement first of all the early church grew why due to its persecution in spite of all the scourgings, the imprisonments, the beatings, the whippings, the killings, the murdering of the Christians, yet the church grew and prospered and it was a mighty force to be reckoned with. They could not stomp it out. And the more they persecuted, the more it spread. And the more it spread, the more it grew. And when the church was on the run, when it was underground, when it was persecuted, it was at its highest point. The highest level of growth during church history happened during the most intense moment of suffering and persecution because in the early church, the church grew daily. Amen? Saints were multiplied. Literally thousands would be saved in one given service. It was forced to depend upon God. It was because of its persecution. It was forced to pray. And its success depended upon its mission. The persecution caused the believer to grow and connect with one another and it unified the church. It unified not only the church, but it unified its mission and its purpose. It took the eyes off the petty stuff and it put it up on the things that really mattered, the eternal stuff, just like what happened to our nation at 911. It wasn't a place about self-promotion, self enhancement self-serving, where everybody got upset if something didn't go their way, but it took its root, its early church took its roots in kingdom mission It was all about the mission of the kingdom. The suffering caused the church to return back to its four life streams that we talked about. The church wasn't the end thing back then. It was not popular. It was not the most prestigious thing. It was not highly sought after. Matter of fact, it was not even accepted even among governments. But now in the modern times, since Christianity has become legal, popular, and one can join the movement without fear or losing prestige of life, things has changed. And you would think that the church expansion would explode after the, penny, after the persecution would be lifted off. But quite as the contrary. Even though it grew leaps and bounds in certain areas for a short season after it become what we call accepted, what we, come, what we said become popular, yet after the initial surge, radical expansion actually dropped. Can you imagine that? It was literally stopped. The surge of growth that happened at the initial start of this so-called popular end thing for the church was flawed from its very beginning. All of a sudden the church that was despised, mocked, ridiculed, persecuted, had now become the end thing, a popular thing in America. And now it began to teach a sectarian approach to ministry. This is where it began to strive for excellence, which is good. It put its emphasis on being polished, being on top of your game, being professional. It included included having every I dotted and every T crossed. It taught perfectionism. And even though there was nothing wrong with wanting improvement and striving for excellence, yet the power of the church does not come from the human ability of man to be able to perform. Are you listening to me? It doesn't depend upon human strength of man. Instead of demanding holiness, this church now demands perfection. It involves self-promotion, selling oneself to the public for its success. Its focus is upon image. We gotta have a good image. We gotta have a good name. Its energy is placed upon practices, procedures, programs, and the gifts and the talents of men. And this is what the majority of the church in America's time is spent upon. The whole face of the church has changed. The dominant culture of our time has influenced the church whether we want to agree with it or not. It operates with a theology of fame. We've got to be a famous church. It puts emphasis on dominance and triumphalism and humility and gentleness has lost its dominance within the church. The theology of fame postures in power, not weakness. It demands more, but yet, it does not serve as much. It is at the privileged front of the line, but not beneath that they focus on. It shows no weakness, no frailty, no flaws, no admittance of wrong. It's polished. It's well-groomed. It's well-framed. It's well-packaged. It's well-organized. It loves from a triumphant uh, overcoming posture, the strong to the weak. It teaches, as the leaders, never show any weakness It unifies only with them that are of the same caliber, the people that are on the same level of ability. So what happens? Birds of a feather flock together. They are only able to reach those that are on their level and are their kind. Compassion, patience, patience, Understanding gives a way to perfection. It loses touch to the anointing and replaces it upon giftedness. It's no longer missional, but now it has to market itself. It grows by its ability to promote itself, market itself in a way that appeals to the audience, which is the world. It's no longer relational, but now professionals serving and involving only the upper elite. It loses touch to the human heart and it places it on outward image. It doesn't care that it hurts somebody. We have an image to protect. So therefore you're not able to meet that image so you can't be involved. They're not looking for the anointing, though it may be packaged in flawed vessels. They're looking for the person that fits the job description that meets the qualification of its well-designed oil machine. Their trust is placed upon ability and not the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Can I say that again? Their trust is placed upon ability and not on the anointing. Their trust is placed upon talent and not the trust in those things that is called, trust in those people that are called of God. Though immature, though flawed, though flawed in some areas, I'm here to tell you that God's power lies in the people of the anointing and the called. Can I have an amen? Are you getting this? I'm trying to stay close to my notes because I want to say everything the Lord placed in my heart. In this church culture, you now have praise teams that act as performers instead of ministers. They practice more than they pray. They sing more than they serve. They demand responses from congregations instead of delivering to the congregation. They drive instead of lead. Can I have an amen? Their focus is on performance instead of presence. And their focus is on perfection instead of people. Thank God we got a team that prays. Thank God we got a team that seeks the presence of God. Thank God at the Palace of Praise, we have pure worship. Can you give our team a great big hand of appreciation? And this church culture, preachers have now become speakers. Come on, help me. Their main goal is just to seek and engage an audience with relevance so that they can keep the crowds coming back. Preaching is given away to motivational speaking. Their goal is to edify, to build up, to cause one to buy into the brand of Christianity that is comfortable. And its goal is crowds and not character. Its ambition is on multitudes and not mission. It's one thing to be a speaker, but let me tell you, it's another thing to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preaching is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ without apology. It is a call to hear and to obey. It is the purest form of Bible engagement by a preacher to his congregation. Can I have an amen? Speaking may edify. It may build up. It may motivate and even make one feel good. But preaching says, this is the word of the Lord. Hear it. This is the way of the Lord. Walk in it. Can I have an amen? In John chapter 6, there was a crowd that followed Jesus And they begin to murmur at his sayings and they were mad at him. And Jesus tells them, and they ask, show us a sign finally. And Jesus answers them in verse 53 and 54 of John 6. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the end time. And the Bible tells us in verse 61, but Jesus knew himself also, that his disciples murmured themselves. Not only was the multitude murmuring, but behind the scenes, behind Jesus' back, his disciples murmured as well. Here we see that Jesus did not go light on his disciples. He did not double down. He didn't show much compassion. I want to tell you something, folks. He come down hard on them. The response of the disciples was not one of submission. It was one of resistance, and they didn't even realize they were resisting the very teaching of Jesus Christ. They complained This teaching is too hard. Listen verse 60. Many of the disciples when they heard this said, this is a hard saying, who can bear it? They were caught between the negative response of the crowd and the impending mass defection from Jesus. Jesus was losing the crowds. He got up, multitudes, multiple thousands were gathered that day. And as he began to give them that saying, 100 would leave, 200 would leave, 500 would leave, another 1,000 would leave, 60 would leave. And all of a sudden, the disciples begin to see this. And those disciples looked and said, man, what he's saying so hard, it's driving the crowd away. These disciples were like the modern-day church of today. The same dynamics can be seen in the modern-day church when there is aggressive preaching. Your message too hard, sir. Preaching, preacher, we're losing crowds because of your preaching. We can't have a mega church like that. We can't build something massive and great if you keep this up. Your message is too stern. It's too tough. It's too much in your face. You need to back off a little bit. You need to become sensitive and relevant in your delivery. If you would calm down, you could keep the crowds. Jesus, if you become more relevant, the crowds wouldn't leave you. But Jesus, these crowds are leaving you because of what you're doing. That's what they were saying. And when Jesus heard their statement, he shifted it back on them. Listen to what he said. Does this offend you? He didn't ask, hey, I can see the crowds are offended, but are you offended? Jesus is asking, are you speaking for them or are you speaking for yourself? Is this medicine too hard for you or are you defending the crowd? Can I tell you something about Jesus? Jesus wasn't a crowd pleaser. He didn't leave them on even on a, Jesus didn't even leave on a high note. He wasn't worried about their responses. Can I have an amen? And the, when Jesus went into Jerusalem on that great, what we call the triumphant entry, they were laying their coats down. They were laying palm leaves down and they were waving and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Glory to God in the highest. And they were praising him and they worshiping only for a few hours and a few days later to be saying, "Crucify, crucifying. They went from one extreme to another and Jesus wasn't all about pacifying the crowd. Jesus then stretched the old, the old wineskins of the disciples and he said in verse 66, he said, It is the spirit that quickens, but the flesh profits nothing, guys, but the words I speak unto you, they're spirit and life. He said, the words I am saying, they may be hard, but they bring life. They may be tough to swallow. It may be hard medicine, but it's what brings life. This trend in America church today is what's making the church ineffective. Speakers have took the place of preachers in the last half century, and now we have people getting their own ideas about how church should be ran. Conviction is rarely felt. Divine interruption does not even happen anymore, like this morning. Can I have an amen? Spiritual enlightenment has faded away through the lens of modern-day philosophies and through motivational speaking. This is why that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.21 of our text, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, but God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them, them that believe. And then look at Mark 16, verse 15. Jesus said, Go into the world and preach the gospel. Jesus himself was anointed to preach deliverance to the captive, the recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year. Five different things Jesus preached. Can I have an amen? However, church in the modern world as a whole has become a place of well polished, well groomed, well structured productions. Spiritual moves have been replaced by gifted and talented professional performances anointing has given away to charisma. Instead of the Holy Spirit, men with their human abilities now sway and move crowds by the power of their charismatic personalities and their creative talent. The electrical charge of the Holy Spirit in the atmosphere has been replaced in a lot of churches by mere talent. With them trusting in the effects of lights, smog, media productions. Now listen to me. What meant to be an enhancement A help, a tool, a ministerial aid is now what many churches put their trust in to move the congregation. It now trusts in well-organized structure, man-made machinery, and the latest technology to move the people in a congregation. All of the things I mentioned is not wrong. We do them here. But I'm here to tell you that we do not put our trust in lights We do not put our trust in smog. We do not put our trust in stage appearances. We put our trust in the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit. And we put our trust in Jesus Christ to come down and minister to his people. If we have to do it on apartments, God is still able to move. Thank God for the other things. They enhance, but we don't put our trust in that. If you don't believe me, go to a rock concert. Go to a country music concert and you'll feel the mood and the atmosphere change and be charged and they produce stirred emotions like crazy. People weep, people cry, they lift their hands, they sway their hands. I'm I'm being honest. I turned on the television the other night and thought, wow, where's that church at? And the whole congregation, hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people I thought, man, I gotta see where this church is. It wasn't, it was a country music uh, performance. And I thought, look how they do at a country music performance and look what we do in worshiping the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We are to be ashamed of ourselves. Amen? And you didn't have the people trying to fight over the back row, they tried to fight over the front row to get close to the singer. Can I have an amen? I thought I'd add that in. Hitler moved crowds, he swayed people, he rallied allies through a charismatic personality and through his ability as a spokesman. This is why the apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, 4, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and a power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The vision of the modern day church is relevance instead of righteousness. It has become a church that is more relevant to earth than to heaven, more relevant to the world than to the kingdom. And you know what has happened and what's so odd about this? That the world seems to know it more than the church does. Can I have an amen? Polished, polished, stage presence and posture must never replace the heart. Good worship's never about the outward, it's always about the inward. Grace and gifts together is exquisite, but gifts and talents alone You know what they are? They're nothing but offerings of the flesh. Preachers, teachers, ministers, praise teams, laity, who are prayerless, who bring their talents and their ministry to the forefront, who pray five minutes, but minister 50 minutes, their trust isn't in the Holy Spirit. It's in the talent and their ability. They may move people, but it don't move God. They may be stirred, but they're not going to be saved. They may feel better, but bondage is not going to be broken off of them. They may dance, but they're not going to be delivered. In today's world, Moses would have never been chosen as a leader in the modern day church because he had a communication problem. He had a stuttering problem. What if I got up here and preached like this? I want want you to open your Bibles to Exodus 13, 15. We're going to be Pentecostal here today. That was Moses. We would never allow that in the pulpits of America today. And yet look what kind of a mighty leader he was. Are you getting where I'm headed now? Paul would have never been chosen because he would not have met stage present qualifications. It is commonly believed that Paul had Graves' disease, which is an overactivity of the thyroid gland. This disease causes bulging eyes. It causes the eyes to protrude from its sockets and they become real big and enlarged. They say, the historians say that when you looked upon the apostle Paul, he looked like a monster. Oh, but we got an image to keep in the church. We can't have those kind people in ministry. And when you'd see him and because of his very appearance, you would ignore him thinking he's not qualified. Hello? Paul also carried in him thorns in his flesh that sometimes buffeted him. Amen. He even admitted, though he strived for excellence, yet he had not yet attained. Timothy had a hard time ministry because they despised his youth. He's too young. I'm ready for to see some six-year-olds get up behind this pulpit and start preaching. Hello, my son. They got to grow. They got they gotta, to mature. I'd rather have an anointed six-year-old boy up here in all of his immaturity than have a 50-year-old man to get up in his raw talent and try to move a congregation. <laughs> Peter would have been rejected due to him acting without thinking decisions through. How many knows that Peter was pretty impulsive and, and explosive at times? He spoke before he thought. He acted out of emotions. Boom, just like that. And John the Baptist surely couldn't have been used because he didn't fit in with the modern-day dress codes of the church. This man roamed around in the wilderness with camel hair all over him, and, and you know what else? He had a leather belt around him, and guess what he done? He ate wild locusts and honey. He's had long hair and beard. He's a wild man living in the wilderness, but yet he was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you that God isn't looking for our perfection. He's looking for the palace of praise purity. If you have to be perfected in order to serve around here, you'll never be able to serve. Nobody, not even myself, because there's no one that is perfect. Amen? God's not looking for your perfection. He's looking for your purity. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Hallelujah. There's a difference in perfection and purity. There's only one that has been perfect. Jesus said, don't even call me perfect, even though he was. But there's only one that's perfect, and that's my Father in heaven. But even though there's none of us in here perfect, there's many of us that's been purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. God's not looking for the talented. He's looking for men and women of truth. God isn't looking for your ability. He's looking for your availability. He isn't looking for awesome people. He's looking for anointed people. Can I have an amen? The early church grew not because of its programs or its professionalism, but the church grew on the backs of untrained laity with hot hearts and even had, and most of the time, inadequate theology. Stephen, Philip, lay people, went into, Philip went into Samaria and preached Christ into a whole city, and the whole city gave heed to the things in which he spoke, seeing the miracles he did in revival took place. Stephen was martyred for Christ for his preaching, but the church grew without Bible schools, without seminaries. It grew without Christian publishing houses and training enterprises. It grew due to people that had fellowship with God. The early church success did not come by the way of prosperity, its wealth, its power, its glamour, its glitz, but it grew by those that embraced the cross. The theology of the cross stands against fame and credit. It stands against ministerial motives driven to form image by seeking honor and praise and somehow getting a place of fame and getting a place of prestige and getting a place with all the and glitter and the glamour and get the talk around the child, advertise it, market it. That's not the way of the church. We've got to embrace the cross. The cross stands for just the opposite, to be in the back of the line, out of the limelight, let the God bless you by bringing you frontward. The church doesn't need an image of greatness and power. It needs an image of, it needs, it, 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 let me say this again. The church doesn't need an image of greatness and power, grandeur and glitter, excellence and fame. The church needs an image of humility and grace. The cross didn't deny weakness, but rather it looked at weakness as strength. Amen? In your weakness, God is made strong. The cross looked at surrender as conquering, powerless as power, the early church understood their inabilities. They confessed their sin. they became sensitive and humble to the holiness of God. The cross clarifies the human weaknesses of a deny of a divine necessity. It's important that we see our human frailties. Why? Because it drives us to place our dependence upon God and not in our own abilities. Exaltation is humility. confession of sin sensitive to the holiness of God, and denying yourself, that's what exaltation is. Whether we see it or not, there's a shift that's taking place in America, and I'm gonna close. There's a shift taking place. The modern day church is losing its grandeur. It's losing its glitter. It's losing its importance, its glory, its fame. We're now seeing that the church is no longer the end thing. It's no longer at the height of its popularity. Only 17 percent of the nation's population, folks, are going to church. It means they're turned off. Hello, people are becoming bored with the performances because it's it isn't producing any spiritual results that satisfy. The new is wearing off, and the church is losing its creative ability to keep up by producing something new and exciting all the time. You know what happened to Jesus, man? When he fed the multitudes, he was in the in crowd. And the day that he quit doing miracles and feeding the multitudes, they left him. One day he had 5,000 and the next hour he had none. And Jesus looks and says to Peter and them, are you gonna leave me also? So where do we go? You and you only have the words to eternal life. Amen? The news wearing off, the church is losing its creative ability to keep up by producing something new and exciting. The modern day church has found out relevance has no definition of boundaries. It's whatever seems exciting at the time. People will be at this church one month, but when there's something else is exciting over here, they'll go over there. And then when they go over there, and that gets a little cold, and if they hear something else pops up over here that's new and exciting, they'll run over there. And before long, they're running for the coffee bars, and they're running for the performances, and they're running for this, and they're running for that, and they're running. And before long, we have a bunch of people that's attending church that have no concept of who God is whatsoever. Can I have an Amen. The church has found out this so called relevance in the world is running the church instead of the church running the world. In this shift, we're also seeing persecution arise back to the church. Make a long story short, Jesus said that it was going to happen. Men and women are finding themselves at at courthouses, they're finding themselves before lawyers to try to defend their faith. We're seeing that God has taken the church back to its start, and we must embrace the cross. We must be crucified to the world we must understand it's not by our giftedness our talents our abilities but it's by grace that we see through Christ that we exist to embrace the cross means the sacrifice of our daily lives because the place of the cross is sacrifice to embrace the cross puts its emphasis on grace and purity instead of excellence and greatness it's not it's not about being polished It's not about image. It's not about fame. It's not about popularity. It's not about marketing the church. It's about mission. It's it's about purity and humbleness. It's about taking up our cross and following him. Three different passages of scripture. Jesus says, take up your cross or you're not worthy to be my disciple. He that don't take up his cross is not worthy of me. He that don't take up his cross, uh, he, 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 uh, he is not going to be one of mine. John chapter 19, verse 17 says, but he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which is in Aramaic, is called Golgotha. Our trust must be in the power of the cross. Jesus took his cross and bore it for you. Can we not take our cross and bear it for him? I want to say this, and this is my last thing I'm going to say. You know where the church world's at today? It's in two places. Polishing. I got to be better. I got to be excellent. Nothing wrong with that. Strive for excellence. But I got to polish. All of our time, all of our effort is trying to be polished to be presented good enough so I can fit in, so I can be accepted, so I can join up. I've got to meet a certain criteria. I've got to meet a certain look. I've got to have a certain amount of ability. I've got to have a certain amount of talent. Or I can't be used to God. I got to polish. So I'm polishing. I'm polishing. I've got to have better stage presence. I gotta work on that. Well, there's nothing wrong with working on your life and becoming then we're enhancements. But we polish. And all of our time is put on polishing when none is put upon spiritual disciplines. There's no praying, no fasting. We're polishing. Trying to meet the standard of the new church. If I'm gonna be accepted. I gotta look a certain way. I gotta act a certain way. I gotta smell a certain way. I've got, I, I, I gotta be polished. I gotta be on top of my game. I gotta be a professional. I've gotta be better, better, better. And all of our focus is upon better and not righteousness. And we polish. And we polish. And we practice. And we practice. And we do this. And we do that. And we do this. And we do that. And yet... We don't do any of the essentials that bring us into a vital relationship with God that makes our heart hot for Him. Or if we don't do that, we do just the opposite. We sit on our can and do nothing because of inferiority. I can't never match up. I'll never be able to be used around here. I'm not good enough. I don't have the ability. I don't have talent. I, I, I'm from the wrong side of the track. I don't have money. I don't have the ability. I don't have the dress. I don't, I don't, I don't, it don't matter. God isn't looking for your capability. He's looking for your availability. God's looking for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Don't fall. Would you stand with me, please? Huh. We strive around here to be excellent in everything that we do and we should. We strive to put forth our best foot and we should. There's no room for laziness. But the day that we begin to put our trust in that, instead of our devotionals of seeking the Lord and loving the Lord and having a relationship with the Lord, it's all in vain. I don't want a man's performance around here. I want God to come down and rattle our cage. I want this body to understand that regardless of where you come from, regardless of what your background is, regardless of what you look like, regardless of what flaws you have, if you're a believer and you've confessed your sin to Jesus and you're not living in sin and you're not practicing sin, but you're stumbling or you're weak or you're frail, you got hang-ups, you got strongholds you're working against, fighting against, there's room for you by the grace of the cross, to be involved in ministry at the Palace of Praise. Hello? None of us has got it all together. Now, if you're living in sin, you're practicing sin on a regular basis, and it's not something that you're fighting against, it's just something you're living in, you can't be used. You won't be used if we know it. But if you're a believer and you love the Lord and there's things that's not yet perfected in your life there's things that you struggle with and you're open about it and you're sincere about it and you're not trying to hide it and you're not trying to put on a front but you're real, you're genuine there's room for you at the cross of Jesus Christ and there's if there's room for you at the cross of Jesus there's room for you in ministry at the palace of praise amen, give the Lord praise for that that ought to free somebody up We have so many people that's so intimidated around here. Oh, I love the palace, but I'll never, I'll never match up. I'll, I'll never fit in. I'll never belong. Uh, 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 you know, they're better than I am, or, or you know, I, I just don't have that kind of capabilities. I, I want to tell you, it's not about your capabilities. The capability is in your weakness. Got to be made strong through you. It's Him that makes the difference. I'm far from articulate. I am far from educated. I am full, far, far, far from being a professional. But I'm anointed of God. I'm a remnant of the Lord. I am a child of the King. And it's God that makes the difference. I know this is different the way I preach, but I wanted to stick close to my notes because God gave me that stuff. And he told me that the church world has lost it. And that's why that there's a decline. There is no longer a dependence upon God. We are growing, we are thriving, we are moving, we are shaking. people are coming in by the groves, lives are being changed, souls are being saved, people are being delivered. Every, every week there's something going on at the palace that's changing people's lives. But we can't get to the point that we think that we're the ones doing it. If it wasn't for the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be nothing. It's not the building. It's not the location. It's not the stone walls. It's not the media. It's not the good videos. It's not the great announcements. Then we're enhancements. But it's whether or not we're allowing Jesus to be Lord. We're messianic. Jesus is Lord. Lord of the church. This morning, I want to ask you this morning. If you've been feeling intimidated, useless, not a part of the family here, you feel like, man, I, I want to come here, but I just feel like that I'll never be able to belong. I want the spirit of intimidation to fall off of you, and I want you, let the, let the leader, the father of this church, not the father, God's the father of the church, but they sometimes refer me to that, the spiritual leader of the church. Let me put my arms around you embrace you and welcome you into ministry and into the family personally. I want you to step out and just come forward and say, I want to belong. I want to be a part. I don't want to feel inferior. I, 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 I'm weak. I've got hang-ups. I've got some problems. I've got some situations that I'm working toward. I'm, I'm fighting. I'm, I'm doing everything that I know to do. I want to help you in your struggle. I want to put my arms around you and tell you how worthy and how loving and how kind that God is towards you. Amen. Is there any others this morning? Oh, come on, folks. Obey the spirit of the Lord. There's a lot of people in here. You just want to say, hey, I want to belong. I love this place. We love you too. I don't care about your past. Well, you don't understand where I come. I don't care what your past is. I need some people to come up here. Yeah, to start loving on these people. Hallelujah. Is there some others? Come on, it's all right. You don't have to meet a certain high criteria to be involved around here. Don't mean you're going to be put into leadership overnight, but you can be involved. We're not afraid to deal with problems. Now, I want to ask another question. Is some of you that are involved tired of polishing yourself? Are you tired of just wearing yourself out? trying to become better, trying to become more excellent, trying to become more professional, trying to meet the demand, trying to, trying to somehow be in the in crowd, trying, 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 and you're tired of all the polishing and all of the effort. I want you to come up as well on, to my left. Would you come up to the left? We're going to pray for you. You're feeling a little bit intimidated yourself and you're working yourself silly. And God just wants to free you of all of that bondage this morning. Oh, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus. Is there any other? Yeah, thank you. Pressure. Pressure. Pressure of ministries on people. Be better. Be brighter. Be greater. If you don't, you're not going to be used around here. You're going to be thrown to the... That's what the enemy would love to tell you. Yes, girls, thank you. Folks, there's, there, God's about to move in this place. He's touching people. Is there any others before I let the singers begin to sing while we minister to these people today? In Jesus' name. Would you worship the Lord and respond to him as he ministers to you? Spirit of God,
2: for fresh on us.